You are Locked On Chargers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Chargers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up and welcome into the Locked On Chargers podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wade. Joined as always by my co-host, David Drogemeyer. And on today's show, here to break down all of these potential coaching prospects, we have John Kegley, one of the original members, on today's show. Before we get started, we are three writers who got our start at San Diego Sports Domination, San Diego's top sports blog. We've been covering the Chargers now for over five seasons doing our own Facebook Live show, Chargers Domination Live. And now this is our third season as the host of the Locked On Chargers podcast, bringing you your team every day. What's up, guys? Well, it's been a whirlwind of a week. Welcome into anyone who's checking out the show for the first time. We really appreciate it. And also a special thank you to all of our loyal fans checking back in with us. And we have a lot to talk about because the Chargers are officially in their head coaching search. We have a full list of all of the coordinators from around the league that they have requested interviews from. Some can be interviewed already. Some can't just because some teams are in the playoffs, but the Chargers have now requested interviews from eight different coordinators around the league, including all of the guys that we've talked about, Eric Bieniemy, Arthur Smith, Brian Dable, Robert Sala, and more. So in the second segment, we'll be getting into the three defensive coordinators and Jason Garrett. Uh, and trust me, you'll want to hear that part of it. And then in the final segment of the show, we'll be getting into the other four offensive coordinators the Chargers have requested interviews for at this point. But we're going to start the show by just talking about some other news that the Chargers have signed. Ten reserve slash futures contracts. So we'll get into some of those guys and talk about you know, some of those guys we could potentially see on the Chargers next season are guys we want to see a little bit more of and stuff like that. But we'll also be getting into in the new segment of the show today, Urban Meyer also having been linked to the Chargers now. So let's go ahead and get started, guys. The Chargers have signed at 10 reserve slash futures contracts. Some of the more notable names on the list would be a Braden Fehoko or Darius Bradwell, both guys that were stars on HBO's Hard Knocks this last season. And a lot of these guys are guys who were on the practice squad. Jason Moore, the wide receiver who signed on with the Chargers last year, he ended up making this a list as well. And there are some definite guys on here that have you know already played for the Chargers, first of all, in the case of Jason Moore and Braden Fehoko, but guys that we could potentially see next year. So David, I'll start with you. When you're looking at this list, obviously these guys are not 100% going to make the roster. The Chargers, you know, are just doing this basically so other teams can't sign these guys. So any player who wasn't on an active roster at the end of the outgoing regular season, according to Andrew Brandt of NationalFootballPost.com, if a player is an unrestricted free agent any team or on any team's practice squad after week 17, they can be signed to a futures contract. So this is the Chargers locking up some of their own guys. But who on that list excites you? I mean, I don't know if I could uh, really say I would get excited about any of these guys on this list, but uh, I think a, a couple of guys here, especially Jason Moore is one of the guys I look at is, you know, the Chargers have had some pretty decent success bringing on some relatively unknown wide receivers, guys like Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton, guys who have been extremely explosive this year for the Chargers when they've needed guys to step up. These are two young guys that came from you know undrafted free agency and really had to fight and claw their way to get on the roster. I mean, Jason Moore's already had a taste of some action with the Chargers, so hopefully you know he can take this opportunity and, and try to make it a permanent one. I mean, there is there there's still some some things to be figured out with the Chargers wide receiver core, so. 
you never know. I think this is just a, an opportunity for the Chargers to take another look at Jason Moore. And I think he had a legitimate chance to make the roster this year. I mean, he was one of only three Chargers wide receivers that had had an NFL catch. And it came from him as a rookie last year coming out of a Division II college. So he's had some time with the team. I think he has been able to show himself out in training camp when training camp was still a thing. And, I mean, he put up some absurd numbers. If you ever look at his Finley stats, it was pretty crazy. But I do like that. And I think, you know, the Chargers aren't still totally certain on what they have at that position, I would say. And I think looking at the position of needs is also something you'd look at on a list like this just because, you know, the Chargers are more likely to keep someone if they're very thin at a position. And I think that with Braden Fehoko, I think you could see that and say, hey, if you have a defensive tackle or somebody on the interior of a line that's been not very physical over the last couple of years, maybe you keep him around and he can potentially show something because it's not like the Chargers have a lot of studs at that position. I mean, Justin Jones is okay. I thought that Limbaugh Joseph played actually pretty well this year. But either way, I think that's a position of need for the Chargers that they want to keep a guy around like this. John, anyone from this list that you think you would like to see with the Chargers or at least get an extended look at? No, not really. I mean, I don't really see much of these guys getting extended playing time. I mean, Fialco is probably a guy that might get the most playing time at every honor just because of what you said with defensive line injuries probably happening. We tend to have that struggle every year. But I'm still wondering why we decided we needed to sign Dante Vaughn to this list. Like, do you really think somebody else is going to pick him up? <laughs> you couldn't sign <laughs> someone that is actually worthy of this list, of someone that you might want to actually keep that is worthy, that you might actually have a chance at making success with. I don't see why he's on this list. I'm more upset that Dante Vaughn's on this list than I am excited to see any of these guys. I mean, I'm still wanting to see Darius Bradwell in game action. We're not. We didn't really get preseason action, so I didn't get to a good look at him. So I want to see more of him. So I think it's, that one's just more of a curiosity thing for me more than an interest. Well, he's a big body guy. I mean, he was a physical runner. Obviously, he was the hard knock star. And you wonder what that is going to look like next year now that you know he doesn't have Anthony Lynn, who obviously has a soft spot for running backs as his head coach. So, I mean, you wonder which of these guys are going to stick around if like a new regime comes in. I mean, these would be the guys that you would look at and be like, all right, well, we lost kind of that connection that we had with who the head coach was before. But I do think it's somewhat interesting that they're keeping a punter on this list just because, I mean, if you're fully confident in your punter, why do you need it? I mean, I definitely, for this season, thought it was COVID-related. You know, you definitely want to have a guy there just in case because it's not like anyone can punt a ball. I mean, Ty Long can obviously kick field goals, so if something were to happen to Michael Badgley, he could have stepped in there. Michael Badgley wouldn't have been able to punt for the Chargers, at least not well, but now they're keeping around for another year. Ty Long was okay punting the football, but that was something I thought was interesting from this list as well. But before we get into all the hot coordinators around the league that the Chargers are going to be interviewing for their head coaching vacancy, there's another guy that they've been linked to already, and that is Urban Meyer, who most recently coached Ohio State, and obviously he was the Florida coach as well. And he's a big name. He would be a big splash hiring if the Chargers really wanted to go that route. But, John, what did you think when you saw Urban Meyer as a potential you know, head coaching candidate for the Chargers? Well, I understand the hype for him. He's a big name. He's had success wherever he goes in college football. But to me, a college football to NFL leap is kind of a really big gamble to me, not one that I'm willing to take, especially since you just now found your franchise QB. you got to find something that's a little bit more concrete, if you will, because in college it's really easy for coaches. If you're really good at recruiting, 
you're going to have usually the most success and in the NFL oh, you don't get to do that you have to wait your turn for things or you have to be able to show the most money or something like that like you could be the Jaguars and somehow get the best three players at their position because you have extra money but that doesn't mean you're going to win you know but in Ohio State you could get all the high five-star recruits that there are because you're good at recruiting and have major success. That's basically how Urban Meyer is able to do things with Florida and even at Ohio State. His career has been a lot of that. Is he going to be able to do that in the NFL? Not really because if you're in the draft, you don't get to say, I know we're the 28th pick, but I'm going to get Trevor Lawrence to come to us. So you, you can't do that. You have to wait your turn and get what comes to you. So I don't feel like he's a good transition for it. I feel like you have to go with a coordinator that's already in the NFL. I mean, you look at the success that he's had as a head coach. I mean, obviously at the collegiate level, and he's found success pretty much everywhere he went, even when he wasn't getting big recruits before he was at Florida, before he was at Ohio State, even when in his days as the Utah head coach. But I get what you're saying, and obviously being a good recruiter doesn't really help you as much in the NFL. I mean, not nearly as much, but there is a certain part of that that is talent scouting as well, I think, which would be an attractive thing. But it's a huge risk to hire a college coach because you've seen guys like Nick Saban and Jim Mora try to make the leap and not be able to. I mean, it's very risky, and obviously I think the biggest thing this is going to come down to is control. There's been you know, some sentiment out there that the Chargers are looking for a CEO type. So that makes you wonder whether or not they're potentially trying to give someone a little bit more control than we've seen guys like Mike McCoy and Anthony Lynn have, which probably is scaring Tom Telesco a little bit, I would say. And I mean, we'll see if Tom Telesco is going to be the one that helps make that pick because Dean Spanos has said now he's going to be more involved than he was the last time. So we have that to look forward to. But we do have two more segments to get into. In the next segment, we're going to be looking at our defensive coordinators. The Chargers are interviewing three of them. And we're going to talk about the, those guys like Brandon Staley and Robert Sala in the next segment, as well as getting into Jason Garrett, because that'll be fun to talk about before we wrap the show up with the offensive coordinators. And we're going to get into that coming up right after this. But first, I need to tell you guys that this episode is brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind diamond engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful diamond ring launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. This exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th and you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com. All right, guys. Well, it's very exciting to be in the coaching search. Obviously, it sucks for anyone to lose their job. And Anthony Lynn was a great man and a great leader. And I don't think he ever lost the respect of that locker room. So even though everyone is celebrating the loss of Anthony Lynn, I think there were certain things he was very good at. Just certain parts of the head coaching gig he just wasn't at. And I don't think it's you know mean to say that by any means. I mean, one of the worst clock management coaches that I've seen. But now you get the excitement of going to shop for something new. And the Chargers are now pretty much going after every one of the hot coordinators that are going to be out there. And there's a lot of them this year. And the Chargers are interviewing eight of them. But we're going to start with the defensive coordinators. And the first one, David, we'll talk about is the one that has been, I think, the hottest, the longest as far as defensive coordinators, and that's Robert Sala. And obviously, the 49ers had one of the best defenses in the league last year, leading them you know, to a Super Bowl. So 
that's going to be a guy that's going to be highly sought after. And I was surprised a little bit that he didn't get a job in the last round of head coaching opens, but openings. But this is a guy I think a lot of Chargers fans wanted to see get interviewed by the Chargers, and now they have at least requested that interview, and they probably will get it. Yeah, I mean, the request is more of a formality of the, yeah. uh, really than anything else. I mean, that's going to happen. No, I'm not really worried about that too much. Robert Sala, 41 years old, 16 years of coaching experience. Last year, he was named the, the coordinator of the year by Sporting News in 2019. He's been a defense coordinator for the 49ers for three years. And he uh, has, you know, some he's been with some teams that with some coordinators that really kind of have their footprints throughout um, the way he coaches. And, and, you know, it's all comes through his tree. So worked with Jacksonville as a linebackers coach, also worked in Seattle as a defensive quality control coach. And those uh, really have put a shape on, you know, his cover three style uh, of, of defense, the way he calls it. It's just a little bit more aggressive. I mean, you're, you're probably thinking cover three, isn't that what Gus Bradley has been running? And yeah, man, I don't want anything to do that. This is a little bit different. I mean, he, I mean, it's all about execution at the end of the day, but he's a little bit more aggressive. He blitzes a lot more than Gus Bradley does. So he's very different in that respect. And he's got some great endorsements too. I mean, guys like Richard Sherman coming out and talking very highly of Robert Sala guy, a guy who's incredibly intelligent and been in the league for a very long time. When someone comes out and speaks out in your behalf and says, this guy should have been a head coach a long time ago. And, uh, you know, he just has that type of presence that you're looking for uh, as a head coach. So Robert Sala, a pretty darn good option. And uh, the one thing I do like also just, you know, might seem stupid, but this guy's got experience. He's been a coach for 16 years. And he's also shown he knows how to use a, use a Bosa and how to be successful without a Bosa, something the Chargers have had some issues with. Well, and I think most importantly, he's found a way to find success even when he has a lot of injured players, which is something that the Chargers are obviously very familiar with. I mean, just this season, guys on IR like Nick Bosa, Ziggy Ansah, D4, Jaquiski Tart, Jamar Taylor. I mean, those are all starters for the most part on the 49ers defense. Even Richard Sherman missed 11 games this season already. But if you look at just the raw stats, they're okay for him the last couple of seasons. When he took over in 2017, this was not a very talented team, and their defensive rankings kind of project that. But if you look at them the last couple of seasons and you look at the advanced metrics like DVOA, in 2020, with all those injuries, they ranked sixth in defensive DVOA. They were the second best team in that category behind the Patriots, who were like historically good defensively last season so I mean the Patriots last season just when I was looking at these numbers allowed third down conversions on 24.1 percent of third downs just a random stat I saw but anyways Robert Sala I, I love the fieriness that he has too like he just seems like a guy that the players like to play for and he seems like a guy who can fire people up and get the most out of guys so I, I think you have to love that and a top four pass defense the last two seasons to help fix that secondary that's going to have Derwin James coming back but the next guy we're going to talk about is Brandon Staley, who is only a one-year defensive coordinator, but he's in charge of the top defensive coordinator, the top defense in the league scoring-wise. The Rams have had the best scoring defense in the NFL. I mean, they've been the best overall defense in yards allowed as well. Almost 20 yards less than the next team is giving up. John, this is obviously a you know kind of a lesser-known guy. He runs a 3-4 defense, so the Chargers might be switching that up. A little bit, but what do you think of this guy who's, you know, led one of the better defenses in the NFL this year? Well, I feel like he might be uh, piggybacking 
the success of Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. So I don't know if you can really say it's him for the most part. I mean, he kind of has the best defensive player in the league and Aaron Donald ruining everything for other teams, QBs, making it hard for anyone to have success. So I feel like that's more of a gamble. It's more of what is he going to do when he comes to our side? When we don't have an Aaron Donald, we don't have that presence in the middle of the defensive line. Is he still going to have that same success? Is he still going to be top five in the NFL in almost every single defensive category, allowing only 14 touchdown passes throughout the whole entire season, having his defense get 12 interceptions? Are we going to be able to do that with what we have? I feel like that's a real stretch. I mean, it's hard because it's only been one season, right? And sometimes these guys get hot so quick that it's they don't really have enough experience for you to really feel good about it. I've read some pretty prodigal things about this guy. I mean, as far as the way he attacks defensively, he's a two-safety look kind of guy. He likes to have his guys win one-on-one matchups in his front seven, and he likes to have extra guys to defend the pass, which now is as important as ever. And it's not like this team didn't have a good defense coordinator, right? I mean, they had Wade Phillips before him, but just, I mean, the difference from last year, even when they had Jalen Ramsey for some of it, and also had Aaron Donald, I mean, they've been much better this year. And I do think, I mean, he's a guy that has a lot of promise. It is a little risky at this point, but I'm definitely not going to downplay what he's been able to do with that team because that's a pretty bad team if they don't have the defense that they have. I mean, that defense has carried them this season. And I really like the way a lot of guys that not a lot of people have heard of have been able to go in there and contribute for them as well. But there's another defensive coordinator on the list, and it's a guy from the Colts, Matt Eberflus, who runs the same type of defense Charger fans are familiar with. He runs a 4-3, and he also has some pretty good numbers this season and over the last couple of seasons with the Colts. David, what do you like or dislike about the Chargers interviewing Matt Eberflus? So one thing I, I like that stands out right away is this guy's got experience, 28 years of coaching experience. He's a guy that's concentrated on linebackers, and he has been able to grow and coach up a lot of very incredibly talented guys like Sean Lee, like Darius Leonard, like Justin Houston, like Demarcus Ware. All of these guys have all played under Matt Iberflus. And also there's you know a pretty strong you know cultural relationship with Matt Eberflus and the coaching staff of the Colts with the connection with the Chargers. I mean, we all know Frank Reich and also the the QB coach, you know, who they all came from the Chargers. So there's a connection there from Frank Reich. And I also think that because of that connection is another reason why Matt Eberflus is getting this interview from the Chargers. But also, this guy's had some great defenses. Uh, I mean, the last couple of years, it's been a big difference or a big reason why without Andrew Luck on the offensive side, the Colts have been able to stay competitive, especially the last couple of years. That defense has been a big factor uh, towards that success. So if you're looking for a guy who has a lot of coaching experience, a guy that's going to come in and you feel really good about, Matt Eberflus is a pretty good option as well. Yeah, and I think another thing about the Colts defense is it doesn't have a lot of star power either. And I think when you look at a lot of the players that these guys have coached or even the coaches that they've coached under, it makes you kind of get an idea of what they want to do. Like as far as Brandon Staley goes, I mean, he coached previously with the Denver Broncos and the Chicago Bears with Vic Fangio, you know, one of the best defensive minds 
in football. And then as far as Matt Eberflus, I think you look at the team and just say that's a very, you know, well-coordinated team. That's a team that's very disciplined. They don't find themselves in the the wrong place very often. I really like the way he frees up his linebackers. Obviously, Darius Leonard is a beast, and they don't make him like Darius Leonard very often. It's not easy to come across a linebacker like that. But when you watch their linebackers, they're always getting into passing lanes. They always find themselves in the right spot, and they're also also a very physical defense as well. So I like Matt Eberflus. I mean, is he on my top list of guys that I would bring in as the Chargers coach? No, but I definitely like them doing their due diligence and bringing in this guy because I do think he is a good coach. I mean, two of the last three seasons he's been in the top 10 in points allowed per game. So I think that the Colts have done pretty well for themselves on that defense. But the last guy we're talking about is not a defensive coordinator. And it's a guy that's pretty funny that we have to bring up. And that is Giants offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett. So John, I know this is something that obviously everyone's going to laugh at, and I'm not going to sit here and endorse Jason Garrett, but what did you think when you saw him and the list of guys the Chargers were hire, interviewing to hire for their head coach? Why? Why? <laughs> Why? Please explain it. Make it make sense to me. This is a guy who is literally the exact opposite of what you want in the Chargers. The Chargers are known for choking and not living up to expectations and being inconsistent. And here's another guy that does the same thing. Here's another guy who doesn't do well when his team gets hurt. When Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott and Zeke's uh, rookie year were doing great, what happens when Zeke goes down? The team goes down. Or oh, that's second, Zeke's second year. When Zeke goes down, the team goes down. He couldn't adjust. He couldn't make the team work again. When injuries happen, Jason Garrett's teams go down. He doesn't help develop the QBs that he has either. Dak didn't really do much when Jason Garrett was the coach and then Mike McCarthy comes in and Dak's better and he starts the game off slower but his game improved a lot more and then Daniel Jones obviously didn't show any improvement now you have Justin Herbert are you going to let Jason Garrett come in here and ruin him and ruin his growth no you better not and with how inconsistent he was with the Cowboys you'd have one year it's like 13 and 3 and the next thing you know it's 8 and 8 and then 10 and 6, and then they're 9 and 7. Like, he's just so inconsistent with how he does things. And this year, as the offensive coordinator for the Giants, in case someone says, well, maybe he could be our OC. No, this year with the Giants, he was like 31st in the league offensive, offensively. So I don't see any yeah, they, reason. They were the second worst in points per game this year. Yeah. I don't see anything that makes this make sense except for they're just feeling an interview or whatever. I don't, make it make sense to me, Wade. Make it make sense. They're just it casting just, a very wide It screams Mike McCoy 2.0 to me, and I don't want anything to do with that at all. I know. Didn't someone say that to us on Twitter? I can't remember who said it, but uh, yeah, I mean, the thing I think about is just the fact that, like, how much of, you know, a, a puppet he was as far as at least, you know, what people were saying about him for Jerry Jones, and you definitely don't want just a yes man uh, in charge of that, but... There are some people that stand up for him. You know, he's a great coach and stuff like that. It's like, this is results. And yes, he had a winning seasons. He had winning seasons and things like that. But I mean, I, it's hard to look at what he does exceptionally well. Daniel Popper did bring up a good point saying that they could just be getting a scouting report for next season when the Chargers play against the New York Giants. So that could be something as well. But Jason Garrett better not end up as the head coach for the Chargers. But we have four more guys to get into, including Eric Bieniemy, Arthur Smith, Brian Dable and more coming up in the next segment as we get into the offensive side of things. But first, I need to tell you guys that the official betting sponsor of the Locked on Chargers podcast is betonline.ag. 
The playoffs are coming up this weekend. If you guys want to find the best bets and the best prop bets, there's only one place to go, and that's at BetOnline.ag. And you don't only have to bet on football either. Basketball is just getting going. You can bet on any of that stuff. March Madness is coming up as well. But for me, I'm definitely going to be betting on some playoff matchups this weekend. So if you guys want to join in and put a little bit of extra oomph into the games you're watching this weekend, there's just something a little bit different when you have some money riding on it. And betonline.ag will give you some free money because when you sign up today for a free account, you can use that promo code locked on for your for your 50% welcome bonus. That's promo code locked on all caps, one word for your 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag. All right, guys, well, that's enough Jason Garrett slander. No more. I'll have no more of it on this podcast. So let's get into the rest of the offensive coordinators that the Chargers are requesting interviews for. Let's start with Brian Dable, just because I know we've already talked about him a lot. I don't think there's too much to get into with him. But, John, I know that you were someone that, at first, you weren't really feeling the Brian Dable as the Chargers' next head coach. I know you've been growing at least warmer to the idea. Well, during the season, I don't have time to look at coaching candidates i have to focus on game sure. plans and game study and stuff like that so uh i was able to have more time this past week to look at it since the, we played the Chiefs backups and it was a meaningless game and the more i look at dable the more i start to like him i love how he's made josh allen become a much better qb and how he was able to use his offense despite who was in there whether it was the first string the second string whatever he was still able to make his offense move I feel like he can make a team grow. Whoever's in there, however young, however old, he'll make them grow. And that's what this team needs. We need to be able to mold all these players together chemistry-wise and help them grow. You have old guys like Keenan Allen. You have guys in the middle like Joey Bosa. And then you have the really young guys coming in like the Derwin James. And you can need to make all this mold up, especially whoever your new draft pick's going to be, and make the one unit that just grows together and makes them good for years to come. Yeah, I think that Brian Dable is definitely my number one guy right now. And I think you've just seen what he's been able to do as far as like, it almost doesn't matter what he has, like we were saying. I mean, like when John Brown was his number one receiver, he made it work. I mean, he's found ways to keep John Brown and Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs all involved. The ball, the offense spreads the ball around. And then I think that'll be kind of a theme for these offensive coordinators, but Yes, his development of Josh Allen, I mean, I has you have to give him a lot of credit for that. And I do know that a lot of people are like, if you look at what his past is, he's had some really bad stops, including, you know, having some 32nd ranked offenses in the NFL. I've told you guys before, look at the quarterbacks of those teams, look at the rosters of those teams. And the other thing that I think has changed him as well is going to the college ranks, getting more innovative on offense, going with the Alabama Crimson Tide when Tua was there leading them to a national championship game. It seems like he has learned from that and has brought some of those schemes into the NFL with his spacing and what he likes to do offensively, not just trying to run the ball on first down. So those are all things well, I find attractive. I think the one red flag, though, too, would be, what was Anthony Lynn? The Bills OC. Who's, what's Brian Dable? <laughs> the Bills OC. <laughs> How long was Anthony Lynn the Bills OC? Um, not long. One year. Yeah. Not yeah, long. One year. Yeah, he took over for uh, Greg Roman. Yeah, but, so, but just say there might be a red flag right there. You never know. There might be a trend. Not a red flag. <laughs> I'm shooting that down. No. The, they, the two of them could not be any more different. So I'll take the next Bills offensive coordinator. And 
The Bills had Anthony Lynn and still decided to go with Sean McDermott. And then that's who Sean McDermott decided to bring in. So that's good for me. But let's get to Arthur Smith because I do think this is a guy that we haven't got to talk enough about. And I think I've honestly been underselling him a little bit because I actually really do like Arthur Smith. And now that I, especially now that I've you know gone and watched some of the Tennessee Titans games, the biggest argument, David, is you're not going to have Derrick Henry on the Chargers if you were to come here. Yeah, you're definitely not. But, I mean, Arthur Smith here, 38 years old, starting started as a graduate uh, assistant in 09 for his alma mater of North Carolina, the Tar Heels. Yeah, he was also a defensive quality assistant, also a quality control coach on both sides of the ball. And then here with the Titans, he worked with tight ends and the O-line before he got promoted to offensive coordinator in 2019. Yeah, that's right. You heard that correctly. He's only been an offensive coordinator for two years, so not a whole lot of experience there as far as you know the upper echelon of coaching. But for me, I didn't know, know a whole lot about Arthur Smith either, so I reached out to our correspondent over at Locked on Titans to get a little bit more insight on him, and he said that he's fantastic. He said he's got a great personality. Um, he said he's worked his way up from every level of the coaching staff. He also said he's very creative with his formations. He said he can do a lot of different variations from similar uh, personnel groupings and he, that he gets the most out of his players. And the Chargers already have a lot of talented players on the offensive, offensive side. So if he can continue to bring Justin Herbert along, then that's nothing but a good thing. And I mean, hey, the quarterback over there is Ryan Tannehill and They've won a lot of games, okay? So you definitely got to give some credit to Arthur Smith. Uh, everything that I've read about Arthur Smith and some of the things uh, I that I've seen, I like. I just think that he doesn't have a whole lot of experience at the top end of coaching, and that's the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause. Yeah, I can definitely understand that, and that's going to be a risk with a lot of these guys. I mean, some of them have been coordinators longer than others, but I mean, Joe Brady was LSU's coach before this last season, you know? So, I mean, some of these guys are rising through pretty quick. Arthur Smith has definitely put in some time there, but I mean, we're talking about what the Bills have done with Josh Allen. What he's done with Ryan Tannehill has been just as impressive because we never really saw what he is now with the Dolphins. His best season with the Dolphins was 2014, completed under 67% of his passes, 27 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. And the biggest thing was his yards per attempt were 6.9, which definitely means a lot of short passes. In 2019, in 10 games, he goes 22 touchdowns. Only six interceptions. His average air yards per attempt, which is how far he's throwing the ball down the field, was 10.2. And it, and with the Dolphins, it was only 6.9. So, I mean, that's something that is shows you what they like to do. And it's a lot of play action. They take deep shots. But when you look at what Ryan Tannehill is now, I mean, averaging you know the best numbers of his career and looking like one of the best quarterbacks and using his legs to get into the end zone as well. I mean, he deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think that... Arthur Smith isn't just, you know, a rushing coach. Like, he's not just trying to run the ball all the time. He knows how to use the pieces that he has, and I like the kind of offense that he's running. I don't think they'd still have to be a smash-mouth team. But the Chargers also don't have that offensive line either. So there's a lot of parallels. You can't necessarily plug him in and be like, oh, I could see them doing that. Um, when I was watching him, it was like, oh, I don't know if you could do that with the Chargers offensive line. So there obviously is some parts of it that would worry you, but – Definitely, I think he should be higher up on my list, and he was definitely a good offensive mind. Let's get into the next one. We'll save Joe Brady for last, and we'll get into Eric Bieniemy. John, how do you feel about the Chargers going after one of their old players? Well, I feel there's a connection there with being able to bring back an 
old player that used to be a part of the team. Usually a lot of players like to come back to their old teams and coach. Eric Bieniemy was part of the Chargers Super Bowl team. He was like the second or third string running back on the team. It was Natron Means, Ronnie Harmon, and Eric Bieniemy. So I feel there's some kind of a connection there. And you have a guy who's a great locker room presence, great with players, has a great attitude, is aggressive when it comes to the game. And he's learning from Andy Reid. And I mentioned before the Andy Reid coaching tree. A lot of those guys go on to have success. And this is probably another guy that you get an opportunity to get some of that success from Andy Reid and all the stuff that he's learning during the Patrick Mahomes era, how to use guys, how to get guys open and get high-scoring offenses going. I'm sure he can bring that there. But also I think Eric Bieniemy is a guy who's willing to sit back and also say, I'm going to run the team, but my coordinators can run what they're going to do, and I'll step in if I need to. Eric Bieniemy has that role of if you're doing good, you do your thing. He doesn't really step in and try to change Patrick Mahomes or anybody. He knows that they're knowing what they got to do. He sits back and he lets them do what they got to do and adjust when he needs to which is something we haven't really had here. I feel like that's maybe that CEO approach of I'm going to control everything, but if my coordinator's in my like offensive coordinator, if you're doing good calling the plays, you do your thing, I'll focus on what's not doing good. Like if a player's messing up, I'll come talk to him. On the defensive side, same thing. If you're calling good plays, if you're stopping everyone, I'm not going to come over here and try to take it over. You're doing what you need to do, but if it fit, if it goes bad, I will take over. I feel like that's our, that's the guy you'd be getting. And it's always hard with Eric Bieniemy because he's not the Chiefs play caller. So as much as you know, you can look at the Chiefs' success over the last couple of years. He's not the guys, the guy that's calling the plays. But obviously, you know that he has an important role on that Chiefs' offense. And like you said, when you're learning under someone like that, and you're taking someone who just you know has helped in the development of one of the better young quarterbacks that we've ever seen. It's definitely interesting. I mean, it's too hard to split up what him and Andy Reid do. I don't know who is the most responsible. I mean, obviously Andy Reid is the most responsible, but I don't know where that split is. I don't know how much of the offense that he's involved in as far as the play calling and what, you know, his philosophies are, but I don't think it's a bad call. He's gone a little bit down my list just as if I watched some other guys, but I do think he's a really good leader from what I've seen. Definitely is an interesting prospect, not at the top of my list, but definitely up there. So let's get to the last offense coordinator that they've requested an interview for, and that's Carolina Panthers offensive coordinator Joe Brady and we're talking about someone who's young David he has just one year in the NFL as an offensive coordinator yeah I mean really young this guy is 31 years old uh, seven years of experience he basically became a coach right after he finished his playing career as a wide receiver at William and Mary and he started as a graduate assistant there and then he went to Penn State and then he went to a, a pretty good offensive-minded team with the Saints working with Sean Payton and Drew Brees. So we all know how crazy their offenses have been throughout the years. Then he was the passing game coordinator at, Louis, at Louisiana where they won the national championship in 19. And then, of course, last year was his first year as an offensive coordinator in the NFL. I mean, this guy, I mean, talk about fast track. I mean, already getting uh, head coaching candidates, already getting head coach interviews right off the bat after one year as an offensive coordinator. Uh, I think this is a guy who's a young, bright, offensive-minded type of guy who is going to bring in and bring that innovation. That's something that the Chargers are supposedly looking for and is in you know they're holding in high regard. So if they're really, really focusing on that aspect of it, then Joe Brady is definitely a guy you got to at least bring in for an interview. 
Yeah, and if you look at the Carolina Panthers numbers this year, I mean, you won't be blown away by what they've been able to do offensively. But I did think it was pretty interesting that he had three receivers with 851 yards or more with Teddy Bridgewater and P.J. Walker as the quarterbacks and also missing Christian McCaffrey for almost the entire season. I mean, that's obviously going to have a devastating result on your offense, even though Mike Davis was too, but 2,000-yard receivers as well. And when you look at that LSU offense, it was loaded with talent, obviously. Joe Burrow was the Heisman that year, probably the best college offense that we've ever seen. But he had a lot to do with that, and he's another guy that just loves the X's and O's and loves being able to create space, loves being able to create mismatches, and I think that's where the Sean McVay comparisons come from. And you're always trying to get that next one. It's always risky, though, because like you said, I mean, one year as an offense coordinator when he was with LSU, I mean, you can't find people talking more highly about someone as far as football IQ goes, and that's obviously a big part of the puzzle. But you're getting to the point where you could have you know players on his team that are going to be older than him. And obviously, he's coached guys that are older than him, I'm sure, before, but a head coach is a little bit different. So I'm not saying that he couldn't do it, but I'm just saying those are the things that come up when you're looking at some looking at someone as young as Joe Brady, but I will tell you that, I mean, thinking of his passing game concepts, the way he kind of revolutionized the college game at one point with the RPOs and being super into that, and just staying up to date with how NFL offenses are evolving is very tempting. I mean, I think I would probably stay away. I don't know if I'm going to be the one that would take that chance, but you know, maybe that's how you miss out on someone like Sean McVay or Matt LaFleur or one of these guys. So it'll be interesting to see how they feel about Joe Brady, but I definitely think he earns the opportunity to get that interview for sure. But that is all eight of the guys that the Chargers are interviewing for their prospective head coaching vacancy. So it's very exciting to be here right now to go through this process. I mean, this is something we haven't got to talk about really in four years, guys. I mean, finding that new head coach. And I think there will be episodes where we break down each one of these guys a little bit more. But on tomorrow's show, we're going to get some voicemails in. We're going to do a voicemail show. If you guys want to make it on that show the number is 323-524-7924, and we try to get every Chargers voicemail played on the show. But if you guys don't already, make sure to go follow us on Twitter at LockedOnLAC. Make sure you like the pace, like the Facebook page, Locked On Chargers, as well as subscribing to us wherever you get your podcast from. You can find the Locked On Chargers podcast there. And also make sure to rate and review if you guys like the podcast. We would really appreciate it. But that's going to do it for today's show. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow for some reactions to Anthony Lynn's firing and some more questions in the voicemail segments. But until then, take it easy and go Bolts.